This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. Like our last episode, we're talking about two different issues in this episode. Students have been back to school for just over a month, so I sat down to talk with Naima Sanchez, our transgender justice coordinator, and Mary Catherine Roper, our deputy legal director, to talk about the needs and rights of trans students and how they can empower themselves for supportive policies in their schools. Later, we'll hear voices from a recent lobby day at the state capitol on probation reform. But first, let's hear from Naima and Mary Catherine. This conversation was recorded on September 25th. Well, Naima, Mary Catherine, thanks for taking the time to sit down. And school is back in session, so we're talking about transgender students' rights. And Naima, I want to talk with you uh, first, or start with you. What kind of challenges do transgender students face in school? What are the needs of trans students that are unique to the fact that they are trans? Well, I want to start off with the, the needs for trans students. And the needs would be the same needs as any other student, you know, a right to a safe and affirming education institution. I think that having accessible restrooms or um, locker rooms is essential and also trainings and, and, and competency um, support for administrators, teachers, um, for boards, administrations, so that like there's something like a protocol or policy in force to like help with like names. For, for, I mean, the, the smallest thing is a name mm-hmm. creates a safe space. So if a student confides in you and say, you know, Hey, Miss Henry, you know, my name is Malika, you know, today uh, a teacher should feel comfortable with using uh, Malika as a name and, and also whatever pronouns the student would like. So I think trainings and policies is, is really important that are uh, pro-trans, but I, I think that uh, trans students need the same respect and a safe and affirming uh, education institution like cis, like cis students. Yeah. So, Naima, you're an organizer, and you're talking about good policies, good practices in schools. What's your advice for um, how trans students can approach these issues? You know, we want them to be empowered, um, they and their friends, you know, to feel empowered to make changes in their schools. So is that does that happen through peer-to-peer work, like student clubs? Is there organizing that can happen to influence policy? I realize maybe it's those things and more. Yeah, I mean, GSAs are really important. Um, or QSAs, some, you know, um, places in PA, they refer to uh, student alliances, uh, especially when it comes to queer bodies uh, with the queer Q. But support groups and peer-to-peer, I think it's important that, you know, the students in the schools feel supported from outside sources like community-based organizations. And, you know, nine times out of ten, a community-based organization has a peer-to-peer support group program. And I think that that gives them that, what I would hope, it would give them that, uh, that tool to take inside the schools, what mm-hmm. they learn outside. Um, but a, a Q or GSA is, is really important um, in order to help advocate internally inside the school. Having an a ally, a teacher, who is an ally to the community that will help push pro-LGBTQ, especially trans and non-binary issues. And, and there's some well, let's say um, some lack of information about GSAs or QSAs. 
you know, I've talked to a lot of students who said, oh, I, I wanted to start a, a GSA, I wanted to start a QSA, but, uh, you know, there was too much difficulty or the administration didn't want it or we had to get all the students to sign permission forms or the board didn't want it or something like that. And what people should know, and this is, is laid out in our student rights manual, is that if there are any non-curricular clubs at a school, they can't say no mm -hmm. to you having a GSA. And they can't put special conditions on it, right? They can't make you get special permission slips that they don't require of other clubs and things like that. Um, that kind of thing is, uh, you know, it's really sad when students just want to, you know, bring together a group of, of allies and support and um, some school ad administration stand in the way or, or don't know that they're supposed to facilitate it. That's the kind of thing that we definitely can help with at the ACLU. There's just a very clear right to have that kind of a group at school. Right. So, Mary Catherine, let's talk a little bit about some of those rights. Um, well, actually, let's start with the most recent news, which is the Boyertown case. Uh, that case is now over, uh, and we've talked about this case on the podcast before, but let's recap it. What happened there? So the Boyertown Area School District adopted a, a policy that was very trans-positive and trans-respectful, and uh, trans students uh, were getting access to the facilities that matched their gender identity. There were some more conservative students and parents who objected to that, and they ended up filing a lawsuit against the school to try to say you cannot allow trans boys into the boys' facilities, trans girls into the girls' facilities. We got in, involved in that lawsuit. We represented the Pennsylvania Youth Congress, which is one of those community resources that Naeem is talking about, a, a student-led, um, youth-led group um, that helps students advocate for LGBT rights um, all across the Commonwealth. And uh, we got involved in the lawsuit on the side of the school district to say, no, they're doing the right thing and they have all the the right to do the right thing and it doesn't violate a cisgender student's rights to give choices and access to a transgender student. Fortunately, the courts agreed with us. We won at the, the trial court level, we won at the appellate court level, um, uh, they tried to get the United States Supreme Court to take the case but they wouldn't. Um, and so when, you know, ultimately there was nowhere else for them to go and they dropped their suit. So this is not, again, this isn't a case where a transgender student was seeking access or seeking, um, you know, respect and, and, and someone to honor their, their gender identity. This was the flip side of that, where the school was doing the right thing and then there were some folks trying to stop it. Uh, and so we now have very, very good uh, law in this circuit saying that, you know, it doesn't infringe on cisgender people's rights to honor the rights of transgender students. Well, that's a good segue to my, my next question. Um, as both of you know, we have this situation in Eastern Lancaster County School District where they've passed a transphobic policy. Uh, it's not a lawsuit right now. The school year has started and things are moving along. But what what is the status of the law for trans-friendly bathroom and locker room policies? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. You ask about the law, but in fact, um, you know, most transgender students whose schools are 
honoring their names, honoring their pronouns, giving them access to the facilities that match their gender identity, um, very few of those have resulted from lawsuits, mm -hmm. right? A lot of them are just schools that understand what mm -hmm. it means to offer a, a, a supportive education to all students and respect all students. And we have worked with students who have uh, demanded those kinds of changes from their schools and gotten them without lawsuits. There have been a couple of lawsuits. Um, in Pennsylvania, um, the trans students who have sued have won and, and won the right to use their, their names, their pronouns, and, and access to the right facilities. Um, in other places, uh, there are some mixed results in those kinds of lawsuits. But in Pennsylvania, it's, um, it's really not been centered in the courts. Yeah. And Naima, I know you um, will end up in contact with students from time to time throughout your work. Is this, I assume this must be a hot topic, uh, and are you getting feedback from students about what they're going through and, and how they're changing policies the way Mary Catherine is describing? Yeah, I mean, just like Mary Catherine said, a, a lot of schools are doing the right thing and allowing students to use uh, facilities that align with their gender identity. The, the concern comes, like, East Lancaster County is in the news, you yeah. know? Um, the concern comes around that is what if, and if they do, how are they gonna go about um, removing me from a restroom, or how are they gonna go about identifying what my gender is just by looking at me? So that is their concerns, is if they're gonna be physically assaulted by school administration, um, will there be other students who feel emboldened to now want to um, harass um, based you know, on like perception of what someone's gender identity is. So that is the concern. Um, right now I have contact with maybe four students um, just to see throughout the state, like just to see, like keep a, a thermometer in the turkey. What do they call that? Is, yeah. What's that, what that <laughs> thermometer called? No, I think that's it. It's a thermometer. Uh, to like gauge the 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 climate of, of that environment. And mm -hmm. if there is need for intervention, that's what we'll do. We're trying to stay involved with a lot of community-based organizations that keep um, a broader connection with uh, LGBTQT students in Pennsylvania. Um, just so if there is a, a student who's facing some injustices, whether it's around laboratory access, restroom access, locker room access, or the simplest thing is name and, and pronouns, um, then we can get in and intervene before it can get to that, the point where we have to sue. Well, and to the point about community partners, uh, what both of you in your experiences, um, what do you find to be resources that are available at their particular organizations? I mean, obviously, let's wave the flag for the ACLU. We Yay. have some Know Your Rights materials. Uh, Mary Catherine mentioned our Students' Rights Manual. We also have a few other Know Your Rights um, pieces about dress codes, for one. But what do you recommend, like, if students who are listening to this or their parents, their friends, they're interested in, in you know, doing some advocacy in their school? Like, what, what's out there for them to help them? Well, I think right now social media is a, is a, is a huge platform that is used um, to help organize parents of trans students, 
or trans students themselves. So there's a lot of groups that's going on on Facebook, because I know in some of these rural areas, there aren't community-based organizations that can provide the resources that a student would need mm. in, you know, um, pertaining to their specific issue. So I, I think, you know, Facebook and, and having that kind of, um, that group um, to activate oneself, but to activate a community. Um, we have wonderful Know Your Rights information, and, and, and Mary Catherine um, lifted up Pennsylvania Youth Congress that does a lot of work with LGBTQT, excuse me, youth in uh, Pennsylvania, um, and that is a resource that is accessible to anyone across this commonwealth. Um, if there isn't a community-based organization in your city, there has to be one. There should be one close by, and if um, if there's not one in a neighboring city, I say contact ACLU, contact Pennsylvania Youth Congress, yeah. um, and we'll connect you to the right resources or someone or an entity closer to you to offer that. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's even closer to home than that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we worked with one student. Uh, she brought her doctor who came and spoke to the school board. Um, and this was a fairly rural place, and the school board really didn't understand much at all <laughs> about transgender people, and the doctor could sort of explain things in, you know, in a way that they could hear. Any ally is important in this, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just important for students to sort of, like, while they may sort of feel isolated at times, know that there are allies, and sometimes just their own their own neighbors their own friends the the parents of their friends um, their own doctors their own um, counselors etc those are people who can be helpful Mary Catherine I did want to ask you one additional legal question when we talked about having this conversation you mentioned that there are some areas of law that are solidly uh, in support of trans students and you were talking a little bit about the First Amendment can you talk more about that yeah, and that's partly involved with the question of GSAs, right? Yeah. So a school can't say to a student, you must dress uh, uh, like a girl because we think you're a girl, right? And, you know, can't stop a student from wearing, you know, a, a button or can't stop a student from, you know, talking to other students or forming a GSA or handing out information to other students about transgender students or about LGBT issues or, or really, you know, about anything. Schools can can ask to see material and, and they can put certain limits, like you can't hand out things that have swear words on them and you can't hand out things that advocate for illegal drug use. Right. Um, but other than that, you know, almost anything a student wants to do to try to educate that student's environment and and bring allies together is protected by the First Amendment. And we really urge students to contact us. I know the ACLU is really associated with lawsuits, <laughs> but honestly, a lot of the work we do for students has nothing to do with lawsuits, right? We, we, we send a letter, we give a call, you know, and and lo and behold, things get easier. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything I haven't asked, anything particular the two of you want to highlight? No, I hope um, students in Pennsylvania have a wonderful school year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's important, um, and thank you. All right. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Thanks.
Thank you to Naima and Mary Catherine for their insights. To learn more about trans rights, visit transformationpa.org. On September 24th, ACLUPA co-sponsored a lobby day at the state capitol on probation reform and in support of two bills, Senate Bill 14 and House Bill 1555. You've heard about these bills before on this podcast, most recently in August when I talked with Celeste Trusty from FAM. The Lobby Day was organized by FAM and co-sponsored by a broad array of organizations, including Reform Alliance, Americans for Prosperity, the PA Prison Society, Just Leadership, and Commonwealth Foundation. Along with visits with legislators, the day also included a rally and press event. Let's hear from some of the folks who spoke at that event, starting with Jamie Williams of Blair County, who shared her experience of being on probation and what it meant for her children. My name is Jamie Williams, and I'm the mother of two children, Alexis, who's 20, and James, who's 17. In 2009, I was sentenced to a term of five years specialized supervision. At that time, I was a single mom working two jobs just to survive. It was already financially hard raising two children by myself with no outside help. Add that to the burden of costs and fines and supervision fees, our lives became even harder to navigate. Additionally to that, my license was suspended for six months, to which hindered my ability to get back and forth to work. I still had to pay the car insurance, rent, utilities, and put food on the table for my two kids. After that suspension, I then had to pay the restoration fee to get my license back. I also had mandatory stipulations for my probation. I had to have a drug and alcohol evaluation and a mental health evaluation. I passed both with no issues. Although I passed the evaluations, I was still required to attend monthly mental health appointments that I did not need. The only provider in my area that accepted my insurance was not taking new patients. I was told, although probation could not make me take medication, they could make me go to my appointments. When I informed my probation officer that I could not find a doctor, she said I needed to find one or else I was going to jail. She was supportive, but she was also stuck between a rock and a hard place. My children were also affected by my sentence. My son James needed to see a specialist in State College, and because I uh, I was restricted from leaving Blair County, I was unable to take him without permission, even in the event of an emergency. James was also punished by the absurdity of having his foam Nerf guns removed from my home because they were weapons, not toys. Alexis and James couldn't have that summer water gun battle in those hot days. My family and I lost so much during those five years, and even though they did nothing, Alexis and James paid the price of my probation the same as I did. I feel in some ways they still suffer. Thank you. Those at the rally also heard from Taylor Thompson, who explained how the impact of being on probation did not end when his probation sentence was finished. I'm fired up. I'm excited. It's beautiful. I never thought anybody actually cared about my story as it, as it pertains to probation. At the end of the day, I, I spent three years on probation. 
And I thought, you know, that after I walked off probation successfully, that everything would be all right. But I spent another seven years on financial sanctions behind the probation system. After I was done with my probation, I found out that they sudden my fines to collections, which meant I'm waiting for my credit score to go up, and I look up, my credit score goes down by 50 points because my probation was sent to collections. At the end of the day, I thought it was about me being a productive member in society and not committing crimes and not reoffending, and I thought that that's what it was all about. But at the end of the day, I realized that it was about money, that it was about a dollar, that it was about someone being paid to supervise me while I was on probation, and then somebody getting paid to take my collections when I was off of probation and I didn't pay my fines from what they tell me. So I was upset. I was impacted. My, my, house, my house premiums went up. I had to pay a higher interest rate on my car loans. Every insurance that I paid, I had to pay more because my credit score was affected. I couldn't believe it was happening. I said, this can't be right. This can't be legal. I thought it was about me being a productive member in society, and I did that. Y'all put me on probation for three years, and I walked off three years without committing any crimes or reoffending. We should be all right. That should be fair exchange, no robbery. But, but how did I end up sent to a collection agency that told me they had to collect every penny off me, and they couldn't settle with that collection debt? And I had to pay them their money, and I had to pay higher interest rates. So I thought it was about one thing, and at the end of the day, it was about money. And we got to be clear, it was about money supervising all of us. It was about money. We need to reallocate that money to where it belongs. At one point, I even told the fan organizers, I'd have rather gave them three years in jail if at the end of my jail time that we had no more, all tasks was, 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 was done. I'd rather gave y'all y'all three years and we'd be done and you let me come out a free man and, and not deal with financial sanctions like I had to deal with for the last 10 years. Because that collections didn't come off my record for seven years. So every time I went somewhere to get financed, they looked at my collections that came from my probation offense and they went ahead and gave me a higher interest rate. So it wasn't about people, it was about money at the end of the day. Thank you. Pass SB 14. Legislative champions of probation reform also spoke at the rally, including Republican Senator Cameron Bartolotta and Democratic Senator Anthony Williams, the co-primary sponsors of SB 14, Representative Mike Jones, a Republican from York County, and House Democratic Whip Jordan Harris of Philadelphia. Representative Harris explained how people get trapped in the probation system. Criminal justice reform is the moral issue of our time. 30 and 40 years from now, people will look back and they will talk about where were you on criminal justice reform? What did you do to reform a system that has been unjust for far too long? People will ask the question, what did you do to lift people out of poverty? What did you do to help our brothers and sisters who are returning from the system get back into our communities? That will be the question that will be asked of each and every one of us for this, the moral issue of our time. When it comes to probation, probation is the quicksand of the criminal justice system. The more you try to get out, the more it pulls you back in. The truth of the matter is that our system is broken. And regardless of how many good people 
may be a part of the system. A broke system will always give a broke product. So until we fix the broken system, we will continue to have the products that we see. We are wasting far too much of our hard-earned taxpayer dollars on folks who do not need to be supervised. The truth of the matter is we need to redirect our resources to those who may need extended time, but not the brothers and sisters who want to go to work every day, who want to take care of their families, who want to be productive citizens in our society. It is time out for putting people on probation that we're mad at and not really reforming our system. But let's get down to it. We got to get a bill passed. We need Democrats and Republicans, rural, urban, and suburban, to put aside our partisan politics and understand that at the end of the day, what we're doing is about Pennsylvania. It's about the father who's trying to go to work, but instead of going to work, he has to go see his probation officer. And it's about that father who may lose that job because his employer, as good as they may be, cannot continue to have him missing work to go stand in the line to check in when we know that this person isn't committing any crimes. It's about that mother who's going across county lines to take her son or her daughter to their baseball game or their basketball game, but they live in fear of being technically violated because they didn't get prior authorization to go right across the county line with their child. This is the system that we've created, a system that is really about entrapment more than it is about supervision. So here's what we want. Here's what we need. We need, for Senate Bill 14 and House Bill 1555, to make their way through the General Assembly yeah, so yeah. we can get it to the governor's desk, That's so right. we can provide relief for the men and women who have served their time, who want to come back into our society, and who are good, productive citizens in this commonwealth. No more time for talk. No more time for excuses. Now is the time for action. Now is the time for action. At the end of the day, That's right. when the book is written, Come on. Come on. when the story is told, the question will be, what did you do to reform the probation system in Pennsylvania? I'm going to be on the right side of history, and I want you to join us as we reform this system. Thank you so much. The Lobby Day for Probation reform was a major success with several hundred people descending on the state capitol to advocate for the bills. We will include a link to an action you can take in support of Senate Bill 14 in the show notes, along with a link to an explainer about the issue. Major kudos to all of our partners who sponsored the Lobby Day, particularly to everyone at FAM who led the way. If you like what you hear on Speaking Freely, you'll love the work of the ACLU. If you're not a member, now is a great time to join or renew. Visit aclupa.org join. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. That brings episode 32 to a close. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. 
Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover, your host, director, and writer for this podcast. Until next time, be free. Be free.